Okay, that was a fun way to think about the etiquette at small groups. Hello, ladies. Hello, look at all of you. Wow, what a joy to see all of you out there today. I am so um, excited to see you. I'm happy to be here. I am Deb Haygood, part of the Women in the Word teaching team, and it is an honor and a privilege to be with you here today. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you for being here. And I also wanna welcome West Campus and Women in the Word downtown. Those of you joining us to study the Word of God, welcome to you as well. Thank you so much for coming this first day of Women in the Word. I mean, how many of you are here for the very first time ever at Women in the Word? Raise your hand if you're here for the first time. Great, okay, thanks. Welcome uh, once again to all of you. Now, I know that the first day of Women in the Word, really the first day of anything, work, school, can be fun and exciting, but it also can be scary, it can be um, hard, and it can be pretty exhausting, especially with all the information that we've given you today. And so I have been praying for each one of you for um, the past few weeks, and I've been talking to God about you. I um, ask that you, God, that you would um, come and that these ladies would feel warm and welcomed and comfortable and excited. I've prayed that you would like your small group. I've asked God to give you the perfect small group leader, one that um, fits your personality perfectly. I pray that you would find one gal in your group that um, you would connect with, that would be your friend, someone that would encourage you throughout this um, semester. And I've prayed that you would be interested in this study of Paul's letters to Timothy, that they would be real, and applicable, and that they would draw you closer to Jesus. And I've prayed that you would leave here today wanting like crazy to come back next week and all the weeks of this um, study this semester. A couple of days I was praying this, and I thought, Lord, this sounds an awful lot like the same conversation we had a month ago when I was praying for my grandchildren. Now, I have four grandchildren. Two live um, in the woodlands north of Houston. Dylan, he started fourth grade, and Hallie started second grade. And in Fort Worth, I have two granddaughters, uh, Little Finley's in first grade, and Little Harper started a uh, preschool two days a week. And so I was talking to God about them, and I was asking God for these very same things for them, that they would get in just the right class with just the right teacher that would fit their personalities, that they would find someone in that class to be their friend, to connect with, to sit with at the lunch table. I prayed that their um, schoolwork would be interesting and applicable to them, and that they would leave wanting to come back to school the next day. Now, I tell you that because I want you to know I am crazy about my grandkids. I love, love, love those grandkids. And I hope that gives you a little insight into how much I care about each one of you. I prayed those very same things for each of you. So I care about how this day goes. In fact, if you are unhappy today, please come up after the lesson and talk to me. I wanna hear your thoughts about that because I know there are many places that you could be um, right now. So I don't take it for granted that you are here on this first day of Women in the Word. You've chosen to be here this first day and I think that you have made a great choice because there's nothing better 
than studying and reading and thinking about God's word. God's word. God's word. The Bible is God's word. It is his story revealed to each of us. We know God because he reveals himself to us, mainly through his word, the Bible. It's in the Bible that we learn about God, who he is, um, how he works, about his creation, and what's going on in it. And that includes you, because you and I, we are part of God's creation. So your story is part of God's great love story. It's woven in to God's great love story. God's word is alive, and it is powerful, and it changes us. That's hard to understand. It's a mystery. We don't know how that happens, but we know it's true. God's word transforms us. The Bible is not like any other book because it is inspired by God's spirit. The Holy Spirit inspires it, and it makes a difference. As we read God's word, the reality of God becomes more real. What does that mean? You know, all of this around us, this is God's world. God is over all of this. As we live and breathe and move, that's God. God is over all of this. And so that becomes more real as we study God's word. So we're gonna read and study First and Second Timothy this semester, and we're going to um, think about it. Not just to get head knowledge, just to get information. We're gonna think about it so that we um, can live it. We can experience the thrill of God's word. God's word going deep inside us, going deep um, and drawing us closer to that relationship with Jesus. God's word is more than just a lamp and a light that gives us vision and gives us direction. In fact, that's on your verse sheet, Psalm 119, 105. But Psalm 119, 103 also says this. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. The psalmist, when he wrote this, he knew that the word of God is delicious, it's not a chore. It's not boring to read God's word. It's tasty. It's sweet. It's delicious. It's kind of like a bowl of ice cream. How many of you like ice cream? How many out there? Most of us, a lot of us, I love ice cream. I love it. I don't eat it very much, but I love it. And a couple weeks ago, I was really pretty sick. I had this upper respiratory infection, and I hadn't eaten very much in a couple days. Um, and so my husband, Scott, had also not eaten much in a couple of days. So... He went to the store and he came home that night and he brought me um, a carton of my favorite ice cream, Grater's Black Raspberry with Chocolate Chunks. So I sat there eating this bowl and I'm eating it slowly, spoonful by spoonful, and I'm tasting how rich and sweet and how flavorful that black raspberry. And then I would come to a chunk of chocolate and it was so delicious. And at the end of the bowl, I'm still thinking about that ice cream. In fact, I'm thinking I should go get another bowl of ice cream. <clears throat> that is how God's word is. We want to take our time. We want to savor it as we read it. Savor it with our mind and our heart and our soul. We want um, to think about God's work and experience it this, um, this, this year. Now, um, maybe you've never experienced God's word like that, but many of you have. That's why you're here. But those of you that haven't, I'm praying that you experience God's word in that way this semester. 
And that kind of makes me think of the homework. Now, the homework, we're going to have three pages every week. This has been written by the teachers, and we've designed it to really be a benefit for you. It's to help you as you study the scripture passage that we're looking at. We don't care so much about right answers as much as we care about you um, digging into the Word of God. Pray over it. Ask God to reveal his truth to you. God, what do you want me to learn as I study this? In fact, you may want to pray what the psalmist prayed in Psalm 119, 27. On your verse sheet, it says this. Lord, make me understand the way of your precepts, and I will meditate on your wondrous works. Pray over it. Ask God to make it real to you. So enough of all that, let's get um, started. Oh, by the way, let me tell you, the teachers this semester are going to be um, Shelly Davis, Lynn Kitchens, Amy Foster, Vanita Jones, and Misty Denman. So you'll be seeing them here as well. So enough of that, let's get started on 1 Timothy. Turn in uh, your Bibles to 1 Timothy, and we're only going to be looking at the first two verses today. I know you're glad to hear that. Um, I'm mainly going to be giving a lot of information, a lot of background um, information that I think will help us as we study these letters to Timothy. <clears throat> so turn to 1 Timothy, verse 1. Now, as I've said, this is a letter. It's real, and it's honest, and it's personal, and it's intense. Maybe you've received a letter like that, or maybe you've written one like that. Um, uh, sometime back, I was in the attic, and I saw this box of Scots, and so I looked in it to see what was there, and here was a packet of letters that I had written to him um, before we were married. It was the summer after my junior year at TCU, and we were madly in love, and so we wrote these letters back and forth all summer, and um, I, as I read them, I kind of cried, and I laughed, and then I mainly was very embarrassed. They were so passionate. In fact, I'm going to share this one line with you, and you're going to, this may uh, destroy my, but anyway, I, I actually wrote in there, Scott, I know that no one has ever been in love with someone like I'm in love with you. <clears throat> Seriously. It was passionate. I kind of remember back then, I, we were crazy, crazy in love. Okay, so um, I wrote another letter this summer, and it was to my grandson, Dylan. Now, Dylan, nine years old, went to summer camp for the first time, and um, maybe this is how they do it, but Rachel, my daughter, had all of us write letters to Dylan. So his sister, his cousins, we all wrote letters, and then she took the letters with Dylan when she drops him off at camp, and then the counselor passes out a few letters every day to Dylan, and I think all of the campers had this. And so when he got back from camp, I said, Dylan, what did you think about the letters? And he goes, oh, Grammy, they were great. And I said, well, what was great about them? And he goes, well, every afternoon we'd go rest in our um, cabin and I'd lay in my bunk and I'd read these letters. And I said, well, what did you like about them? And he said, I just liked when they say, hey, Dylan, how are you doing? <laughs> Now, it doesn't take much to encourage a nine-year-old who's a little homesick away at summer camp. And I tell you these stories because this is what we're going to see in Paul's letters to Timothy. We are going to see his passion, and we are going to see his encouragement as he writes to Timothy. So um, let's get started and uh, read verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope. Now, this is a very common letterhead in the first century, and it tells us that this letter was written by Paul. So, who is Paul? 
In this first verse, we get a little sense of um, his life and his message. It says here that he is an apostle. Now, apostle, that word literally means um, someone with a message, someone sent out, commissioned with a special message. And Paul's message is from Jesus. So this tells us that Paul is like the disciples, the 12 disciples that Jesus personally chose to um, take out his message to others. And this calling from Jesus was not Paul's idea. It tells us here it was by command of God and Christ Jesus. It was God's will that Paul was chosen as an apostle of Christ. God's will. So this gives Paul great authority. In fact, the greatest authority. His authority comes from God himself. So how did Paul get this calling? When did it happen? Well, back in the book of Acts, uh, we studied Acts. We first see Paul. And we studied Acts a couple of years ago. How many of you were here when we studied Acts? Okay, quite a few of you. Thanks, good. All right, this is going to be a bit of a review for you, but stay tuned in because you may have forgotten a couple things. So in the book of Acts, we um, learned that this is all about God's establishment of the universal church following the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The universal church, that's the body of believers. That's all of us. We're the universal church. And we learned in Acts, we see how believers take the story, the good news of Jesus, from Jerusalem out into really the um, utter known, uttermost parts of the known world at that time. They took it out. And we first see Paul. He shows up at the end of chapter 7 at the stoning of Stephen. Now, Stephen, you may remember, um, he was the first Christian martyr. And scripture tells us he was full of grace and truth and he worked wonders. And he told many the good news of Jesus. In fact, he did such a great job at that that the Jewish leadership called him in. He came to their attention. And they drag him into court. And while he's there, he gives such a great defense of who Jesus is that the Jewish leadership is outraged. They're incensed. And so they drag him out and they begin stoning him to death. And there we see standing by is Paul. Now at this time, his name, he's called Saul and he is a young man and he is part of the Jewish leadership. Now, in some of Paul's letters, he writes about um, who he was and how he was before he comes to know the Lord Jesus. And one of those uh, is a letter to the Philippians. And so on your verse sheet, I have some verses in Philippians 3, starting with verse 4. Paul says this about himself. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Blameless. This is Paul. He is, or Saul, he is a Jew's Jew, circumcised on the eighth day. He's from the tribe of Benjamin. He is an Israelite, and he is a Pharisee. Now, the Pharisees were the Jewish leaders who were very strict about keeping God's law. They kept it down to the very detail. And Paul tells us here, he was blameless in that. He thought he was keeping it perfectly. He was doing everything right before God, including persecuting the Christians. He thought this was right. But Paul had missed the most important part. 
He had missed that Jesus, God the Son, came to earth fully man, fully God, to take on the sin of us all, shed his blood on the cross that we might be reconciled to God and have a relationship with him. And then he was raised to life, resurrected on the third day. Now, Saul knew this story, but he didn't accept it. He didn't believe it. And so he really didn't believe God until one day Saul is going to Damascus. He's on the road to Damascus. That is a city in Syria, north of Israel. And he has gotten permission from the leadership in Jerusalem to go there and to arrest the followers of Jesus and to bring them back for trial and probably to be killed in Jerusalem. And on the way, Saul is blinded by a great light and he hears the voice of Jesus. And I wanna read this. You all have probably are familiar with this story. I have a couple of those verses on your verse sheet, Acts 9, verse three. And I love this story because it gives me such encouragement to know that no matter how bad I was, no matter how many sins, how much I did wrong before coming to know Jesus, um, even things I do wrong now knowing Jesus, that does not disqualify because when I turn my eyes to Jesus, God can use me in a great way or even a small way. He can use me in a way. And so we see that in this story of um, Paul. So let's read Acts 9, verse 3. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. So he gets up, he's blind, he can't see. They lead him into um, Damascus, and there he sits for three days. And at the same time, the Lord is telling Ananias, a disciple, a Jesus follower, to go and to pray over Saul. Now, this was a little scary, as you can imagine, because here Ananias, a follower of Jesus, knows this Saul has come to um, arrest them, take them to Jerusalem, and probably kill them. And yet, the Lord answers him in this way, Acts 9, 15. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. And so Ananias, full of faith and, obedient, go, and obedience, goes and he prays over um, Saul and he regains his sight. And Saul's life is forever changed. In fact, his name is changed to um, Paul and he begins immediately preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. And he eventually goes on three missionary journeys taking the good news to the Gentiles, the very people that God had wanted him to take the good news to. Now we know that God's plan of salvation through Jesus Christ always from the beginning of time was for all men and women, for Jews and for Gentiles. And Paul would take this message to the Gentiles. He would go on three missionary journeys and along the way, Paul is beaten, he's whipped, he's stoned, he is shipwrecked. And the book of Acts ends with Paul's trial uh, in Rome where he is put on house arrest for two years. During this time, many people came to Paul and he would tell them the good news of Jesus Christ. Whoever came, he welcomed them and told them about Jesus. 
Now, after this time, tradition tells us, and we also can get this from a few verses in some of Paul's letters, that Paul was released. We don't know why. Maybe he was acquitted. Maybe the charges were dropped. But we know that Paul once again goes out and begins to preach the good news throughout Asia Minor and into Macedonia and even into Western Spain. And this time period was probably about three to five years, and it was during this time that Paul wrote this first letter to Timothy. Then Paul is um, arrested once again. He's taken to Rome. He's thrown into a dungeon, and he is executed by the Romans around 68 AD. Shortly before his death, he writes the second letter to Timothy, and this would be um, the last letter of Paul's recorded in Scripture. We're going to study 2 Timothy the um, last four weeks of this semester, so you do not want to drop out early. You don't want to miss these last emotional, real words of Paul in this letter. So that's a little bit, quick look at Paul's life. Let's talk just a minute more about his message. And we see back in verse 1 that he says, God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope. And really, that kind of is Paul's message. God, our Savior, has kind of an Old Testament ring to it. Last spring, we studied Genesis, and we read and we talked a whole lot about God's plan of salvation for mankind. It would come from one man down through the line of Abraham, through his son Isaac, through his son Jacob, through his fourth son Judah, who from his line would come the great King David of Israel, and from the line of David would come Jesus. Jesus, and we see Jesus fully deity, fully humanity. And we see that in Paul's um, description when he calls him Christ Jesus. Christ, that is the Greek word for Messiah. There's the deity. And Jesus is the name he was called when he walked on this earth. There's the humanity. Christ Jesus, deity and humanity, and he is our hope. He's our hope. Now, not wishful thinking hope, like I hope I get a pony. It's the um, sure, certain expectation. That hope, for sure and certain expectation. Because Jesus was our sin sacrifice. He paid the price so that we might be reconciled with God, that we might have a relationship right now with Jesus and on into eternity. Right now, we have that relationship. Jesus tells us in John 10, 10, he says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly right now and on into eternity. When we leave this earth, we are going on to live in glory forever with Jesus because he is our hope. He is our hope. So let's go on now and look at verse two. Verse two says, to Timothy, my true child in the faith. So Timothy, Paul writes this letter to Timothy. So who is Timothy? Paul calls him my true child in the faith. So let's talk about Timothy for just a minute. We also meet uh, Timothy for the first time in the book of Acts. In fact, it's chapter 16 on your verse sheet. Got a couple verses there about him. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. But his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. So Paul is on his second missionary journey when he, these uh, 
verses come up in chapter 16, and he finds Timothy in Lystra. He is a disciple, he uh, follows Jesus, and now, um, and, and that may have happened when Paul came through Lystra the first time around, on his first missionary journey. We know that he went to Lystra and that he preached the good news of Jesus. Maybe Timothy heard that and became a believer then. Or maybe it was Timothy's mother who tells him about Jesus. Because we also read there that she was Jewish, but she was a believer. And Timothy's name, by the way, means he who honors God. Either way, Timothy is now a believer, and he has a good reputation among the people. And Paul wants Timothy to go with him on his journey. So Timothy does that. He becomes Paul's traveling companion. Um, he uh, helps Paul. He assists Paul in preaching the good news of Jesus as Paul travels around. Paul becomes his mentor. And some years later, when Paul writes to the church at Philippi, we read what he says about Timothy. On your verse sheet, Philippians 2, 19, this is Paul speaking. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. <clears throat> we see here great high praise from Paul about Timothy. Timothy has served well. Timothy has done a great job. He has given Timothy authority as he's gone out. And we hear Paul's words of love and affection for Timothy. He is more than a mentor. He characterizes his relationship like a father and a son. We also know that Timothy is young. Now, he's probably been with uh, Paul maybe 13 years since he first left. Um, so he may not even be quite 30 years old yet. He's a young man. Paul in chapter four talks about his youth. He also, we see some verses that lead us to think he was a bit timid. Even with this authority, he was a little timid. And then in chapter five, Paul is gonna talk, give Timothy some advice about his health. So Timothy may have been a little unwell. So these are a few things about Timothy. We're gonna learn more in the weeks to come. But the next thing I wanna talk about is where is Timothy? Where is he when Paul writes this letter to him? Well, verse three tells us that, that Paul says, I urged you to remain at Ephesus. So Timothy is in Ephesus. And although this is a personal letter to Timothy, all the theologians think that this letter also was read by the churches in Ephesus. So let's talk a minute about Ephesus. That's gonna be important as we study this. Um, Ephesus was a large and very wealthy port city. And in Bible times, it was the third largest city in the Roman Empire. Only Rome and Alexandria and Egypt were larger. So it was a big, important city, and it would seem like everything and everyone passed through Ephesus. Now, I have a map I want us to look at real quickly. Up here, get this turned on. Okay, down here, we see the red little circle. There's Jerusalem. That's Israel. And then we see up here Lystra in Asia Minor. That's where Timothy's from. 
And then over here, right on the Mediterranean, we see Ephesus, the port city. You see that right there? So you see it's kind of a great throughway, east and west, north and south. Ephesus was a melting pot of many cultures and religions and philosophies. Many false gods worshiped there. In fact, many Ephesians were devoted to worshiping Artemis, the goddess Artemis. Um, the Romans called her Diana. Ephesus had this large, spectacular temple of um, Artemis. It was considered one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was fabulous. There were marble streets and marble buildings, and the second largest library in the world at that time was in Ephesus, many buildings and fountains. And I have a picture here of Ephesus. You see it up on the screen. Some of the um, archaeologists have excavated Ephesus today. It's in... Um, uh, modern-day Turkey, and you see the, those are mo mo marble streets, marble pillars, um, an amazing and rich, wealthy city. And then we also have a picture of the um, great theater that held 25,000 people. So you see, this is a major city in the ancient world. Now, we know that Paul went through Ephesus on his second missionary journey with Timothy, but he only stayed a short while. And then on his third missionary journey, Paul stayed almost three years. And during this time, he preached the good news of Jesus Christ to many, many Ephesians. And so many Ephesians became to believe in Jesus. Now, as I said earlier, theologians think that um, Paul was released from his house arrest and began to travel throughout preaching the word of God again. And Timothy, his dear co-worker and friend, would have gone with him, would have been with him. And so it would seem that when they got to Ephesus, after a while, Paul is going to depart from Ephesus. But he leaves Timothy in charge. He leaves him with the authority over all the believers and the churches in Ephesus. Now, there were many believers there, but a lot of stuff was going on, so it's easy to understand why Timothy might have been a little intimidated by all of this. So Paul writes this encouraging letter to Timothy. And what does Paul write to him? Over the next few weeks, we're gonna see many themes in this practical, heartfelt letter, but I think the main message Paul wants to convey is this, Timothy Guard the truth of the gospel. Guard the truth of the gospel. Protect it, guard it, and pass it on. What is the truth of the gospel? Well, Paul says later in chapter one in verse 15, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's the gospel message. Jesus, God the Son, came to earth to reveal the Father and to die on the cross for our sins that we might know God. And he was raised on the third day and the best news, he is coming back. He's coming back. So he's saying, Timothy, hold on to this truth. Know this truth. Teach this truth. Protect it. This is the same truth that I, Paul, have been preaching all these years. And at this point, it's probably been about 30 years. He's been preaching the good news of Jesus. Don't change it. Stick with this truth. Don't add anything to it. Don't get into arguments. Don't let false teachers come along. Know this truth. Know this truth and protect it. We're gonna learn a lot about sound doctrine versus false doctrine. In fact, Lynn Kitchens is coming next week to tell us all about that. And another thing we see a lot through this letter is the church. 
Why is that? What's the church got to do with the truth? And so John Constable has this great quote that explains it. He says, the local church is an instrument that God designed to support and display his truth. The church is God's instrument designed by God to display his truth. Now, when we're talking about the church here, we're talking about the local church, those individual assemblies of believers that were in Ephesus and are throughout the world today. The church is God's instrument to display his truth. So guard the truth, Timothy, and the church has um, a big role in doing that. So how does Paul get this message across to Timothy? Three ways. He warns him, he instructs him, and he encourages him. Some of the warnings that he gives him, he warns him about false teachers and false doctrines. Not only outside the church, but even more dangerous, there were false teachers inside the church. He also warns Timothy about prayer, failing to pray, and faulty prayer. Prayer is of the utmost importance individually and corporately as we study, uh, as we um, protect the truth of the gospel. And then also he warns Timothy about um, poor, weak church government and church leadership. The church is important to display God's truth, so it would follow that the church needs excellent leadership. We're gonna see as Paul instructs Timothy in the weeks to come that he tells him about prayer. He instructs him on worship and order and he instructs him on effective church leadership. What are the qualifications for a good leader? How should leaders live their life? And not only leaders but also all of us as believers. How should we behave in church? How should we live our lives? And so Paul is gonna tell us a lot about Godliness, And I think you'll be surprised at exactly what godliness means. And over all this instruction, we see God's word and God's spirit and God's grace. Throughout this letter, we also see Paul's encouragement to Timothy. He encourages him to know the truth and to teach the truth. He encourages him to remain faithful. He encourages him by reminding him of how special he is. He's been given a spiritual gift that enables him to guard the truth. He reminds him of who he is to Paul. Paul calls Timothy, my child, oh, Timothy. And he reminds Timothy of who he is in the Lord. He calls Timothy, oh man of God. And back to verse two, we see that he encourages Timothy with these beautiful words. To Timothy, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace. Grace is God doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves. It's God's undeserved favor and enabling. I have an illustration, it's a very poor illustration of this, but maybe it'll give you a visual. Someone comes to your home, they love you very much, and they give you this great gift. Now, you didn't ask for it, you don't deserve it, but it makes your life wonderful. It it enables you to do something that you couldn't do before, grace. Mercy, mercy is the undeserved kindness and compassion of God. Mercy frees believers from the misery that accompanies the consequences of sin. That's mercy. 
Poor illustration of mercy. I'm at work and I do something really, really wrong. I mess up big. It's a big mistake. And I um, know there's no one else to blame. It is me. I did this. And it's bad and the consequences are going to be harsh. And I go in to my boss and she says, it's okay. And she hugs me. And she says, I'll take care of it. Mercy. And peace, I love peace, it's the wholeness and well-being in all areas of life. God's tranquility and stability within us, that's peace. You know, these words, we can skip over them pretty quickly, but they are real, and they are authentic, and they are encouraging. So as we close this morning, maybe you're thinking, so what, Deb? So what? So what does this letter to Timothy have to do with me? Where is my story in this letter? How is this real to me? Well, I'm glad you asked because that's the most exciting part. This letter has something for each one of us. This letter is the inspired word of God and century later, centuries later, we're reading it. You know, Paul wrote it to Timothy, and the church of Ephesus read it, but the Holy Spirit inspired Paul, and it is meant for us today as well. Maybe you're young, and you have a difficult task in front of you. Maybe it's that you want to be a good mother or a good wife, a good friend, and you're thinking, how do I do this? Timothy is young. And there's great words of encouragement and instruction for him that are meant for you as well. Maybe you're older. Maybe you're in the latter years of your life and you're thinking, okay, Lord, what, what do you have for me? What ministry should I be involved in in these years? What should I be doing with my life? Paul is in the latter years of his life. And we can learn much in this letter from Paul's example and from Paul's words as he lives his life in those later years. Maybe you're somewhere in between and you're thinking, I want to know more about prayer. I've been wondering how the church works and what's my role in it and how I'm supposed to live and what in the world is godliness. You know, all of those um, are going to be answered in this letter to 1 Timothy. And all of us, all of us are called to guard the truth of the gospel. And so how do we do that? As believers, we are going to learn that in this letter, how to guard the truth of the gospel, to protect it, to know it, to teach it, to pass it on to other faithful believers. God's word will encourage us with words of blessing and love. The Lord is good and the Lord is great and he gives us his word because he loves us so very much. So please, please come back. You don't want to miss out on what he has for you. And may the grace and mercy and peace of God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ be yours today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are a great and glorious God and you love us so much and you give us your word so that we can know you. Thank you so much. And thank you for these ladies, Lord, that have come to know you, come to serve you, come to um, walk with you each day as they study your word. And I just pray, Father, that this semester, you would reveal yourself to us in a different way, in a real way, that we might, at the end of this semester, be drawn that much closer to you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for all the blessings that you give us. Thank you for your grace and your mercy and your peace. And I ask all this in Jesus' name, amen.